episode 131 of Friends of Film, a podcast for latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Star Wars 9 not casting Ray's mom, Idris Elba fighting The Rock, Miles Teller crushing our hopes and dreams, and more after review Ant-Man and the Wasp. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who's ready to be the new face of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Josh <sighs> Straley. That's right. That ha- man, That feels like it happened a century it ago. Did, yeah, it feels super old. So much has happened. It like was like the first domino in so many, many, mm-hmm. many things. Quick, because free agency happened Saturday. Yep. And then LeBron was just that next night. Yep, Sunday. Which is so weird, because usually he waits. Yeah. But anyway, I'm a Lakers fan now, so <laughs> okay. it, it, happened, it happened that quick. Even with... Lonzo, JaVel McGee, Lance Stevenson, Rajon oh Rondo. <laughs> it's like they're like, who does LeBron hate in the league the yeah. most and then brought them here? Uh, it's going to be a mismatched team, and I don't know it's what wild. they're going to do. But not as weird as Boogie Cousins going to the That's just Warriors. unfair. If he's healthy, that's, that's just game over. Yikes. But, hey, everyone, don't forget, you can get all of our latest non-basketball updates on Facebook and Twitter, at Friends and Film, and... Be sure to check out the rest of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. And if you can, on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps. Yeah, and be sure to over to our website, friendsandfilm.wordpress.com, where you guys will see written reviews from us on a weekly basis. Um, by the time you guys are hearing this, you guys will be a day away, I believe, from the launch of Josh's Mission Impossible First time viewing experience, whatever. I don't know what we're yes. going to call it yet. The impossible rewatch? No, that's dumb. The pot, the, this mission is possible? I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be a better yes. title than that. I'll be getting going on the series through the buildup. I'll do um, my first run, my first watch, and then building up to the sixth film. Mission Impossible Fallout. All right. Yeah, so because you've not seen any of them, if if, nope. you, if you're a longtime listener, you know that because I was, you know, get angry with Josh a little Chides bit, frustrated <laughs> uh, that he hasn't seen these wonderful movies, but uh, now relation- it's happening. My relationship with Tom Cruise is um, uneven at best hey, so far. So. I've been watching. I told you, uh, I've been watching. I declared July Tom Cruise month mm-hmm. for me, so I'm watching a bunch of stuff that I haven't seen from him. Right, and like his old like '80s stuff is some of it's just not good. <laughs> Cocktail, Far and Away with Nicole Kidman, directed by Ron Howard. It's just like, what What are these movies? That's right. Um, do you think eventually we'll get to the point where we're like, he was just in a lot of things? And well, I mean, what? I don't know. Well, anyway, do you think his, his career is good? Yes. Right? Yeah. More than bad. Absolutely. But I wonder if we stacked up all of his movies together, how many we would be like, these are great, mm-hmm. and the rest are like, bleh. Uh, yeah, it'd be very similar to, I think, The Rock. Because he's in a lot of movies, but it's like half of them are good other ones are like not especially his early stuff those are the old adage though you got to bat 400 and you're considered (laughs) one of the greats that's true but anyways we're not here talking about tom cruise this week um on the website you guys will see my review for ant-man and the wasp which is titled evangeline lily flies high um if you haven't read the review yet i'm gonna kind of reiterate my thoughts here and then let josh share and then we'll get into spoilers on the movie but i really enjoyed the movie i thought it was really fun um which is kind of i think the keyword for this movie in mm-hmm. a lot of ways that people are just like oh it's fun it's a palate cleanser it's exactly what you need after infinity war and i agree with all of those things um i still think that for me i, I liked the first ant-man a lot but not i didn't love it or consider it in my top five marvel movies or anything okay. um so i wasn't expecting anything like that for and the wasp and I feel like, for the most part, it basically met my expectations of being a fun time with great characters, really funny lines, um, some mesmerizing action sequences and visual effects, yeah. but um, villains that I didn't really care for um, and so on. But I, I do think that Evangeline Lilly was really the MVP of this movie. Uh, she gets co-billing. It, Wasp becomes part of the title now instead of just being Ant-Man 2. It is Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I think it's definitely the Wasp more than Ant-Man yep. as far as what I liked. Not to say that I didn't like Paul Rudd's Ant-Man, because I do. He's fun. Um, his malfunctioning suit is a nice recurring gag the movie has, but Lily just steps onto the screen right away, and you're just like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted this from the first movie because she shows us she, that she is insanely capable and it's just because her dad doesn't want her to suit up that she's basically not allowed to. Mm-hmm. Now she is allowed to, and she has wings, size shrinking ability, blasters, uh, all this stuff, and she just kicks butt 
the entire movie and you just want more and more and you don't get as I don't I didn't get as much of it as I wanted because she was just so good that I just wanted more wasp all the time yeah um so, but that's not a negative that's just like yeah I give me a wasp solo movie or her and the Avengers or an a force movie or something For and sure. then I'd be really happy with it yeah it's the 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 movie doesn't know how to balance two main heroes not really because they keep delineating or jumping off or you know sidetracking with um carlos pena's group and michael pena michael pena sorry yes um his group and like usually that's like the comedic relief cutaways Mm -hmm. but this time we have heroes that are sometimes separated yeah so it's not all one story so then yeah it kind of gets all over the place and you're like Oh, let's go back and see more Paul Rudd. Now let's go back and see yeah. more um, Evangeline Lilly. And let's get back here to the ex-cons. And yeah, so that, I, I totally I, I totally get that part. Um, but I mean, when they when, when Wasp is separate, when she's with Ant-Man, whatever the case is, whenever she is actually fighting, I thought that was where the best action in the movie came because yes. she just provides a new, um, a, a different change of pace for the movie than what we get with Ant-Man. Because yes, he can go smaller, he can go big, and it's fun, but... Wasp is a trained fighter and her, she's just so skilled in combat that it, all of her stuff is really fun to watch. Um, and I, be, and I and I do like how she's balanced with Ant-Man and I like her dynamic with Paul Rudd a lot in this movie um, because I think they play really well off of each other and even Michael Douglas because he's basically like the third co-lead of this movie because he's yeah. always with wasp for the most part and then paul rudd's brought in there and everything um i think the best part for me from scott lang's character was his interaction with his daughter yes cassie lang played by abby Ryder fortson Mm -hmm. who is just so adorable in this role um that it's it's anytime she's on screen i'm smiling when she's looking at you know her dad breaking the rules and she smiles just right. like oh that's that's just so cute and like yeah. um it's very endearing and i just wanted a lot more of that but because of the premise of the story that scott's on house arrest and he's not mm-hmm. in you know now he's being broken out because he has to help uh, uh hope and hank try to rescue janet that like he, he's not really interacting with cassie that much and i, was right. like, I just want so much more of that yeah. all the time now, the, the opening i think is by far the movie's best beat it's the sweetest thing ever the actual the um opening not, not the prologue yeah or the pre marvel credit yes uh but them playing indiana jones yeah. is is so funny <laughs> yeah and i i do think it was it was a weird prologue to start the movie uh I understand. it was almost like an extended like the they took the post credit scene from ant-man and mm-hmm. just drug yeah. it out to this one yeah or that like they're like well this movie only made like 57 million dollars opening weekend i think and like 500 something worldwide mm-hmm. there's probably a good amount of people who didn't see our first movie or maybe haven't watched in a long time. So let's recap the entire movie real quick in the first three <laughs> minutes and set up who Janet is, why she's gone, why she's important for this story. Um, so I felt like it, it started off a little slow, but once it found its legs, I thought this movie really rolled. Um, again, I, as I mentioned earlier, the weakest parts for me were probably the villains. I liked Hannah John Kamen as Ghost, um, but I think she was pretty one note in the movie. She doesn't have a lot of range uh, on display here and with her character that she's just kind of... She wants this thing, and that's really the sum of her character. There's some backstory that's interesting, but she doesn't really get a lot of chance to do anything with it. Right. Um, and then Walton Goggins is just like in the movie, and I feel like you could cut him out and not really change anything. Um, I mean, there's some lit minor mm-hmm. plot stuff, but I think you they could have repurposed all those plot points for a different for different characters and made the movie better as a whole. Um, you mentioned Michael Pena. He is hilarious. Uh, probably even funnier in this movie than it was in the first. Definitely. Um, I wish he maybe would have had one more of his classic stories to tell yeah. because <laughs> the one he gets here uh, is just so perfectly executed that uh, it, it's one of the funniest moments of the movie, along with one that Paul Rudd does, mm-hmm. but I won't get into um, because of p- possible spoilers, I guess. Um, but Lawrence Fishburne, I thought he was good as Bill Foster. Would have liked to maybe see a little bit more of him. And same with Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne. She's in the movie. But not a lot, and I I wish she would have been in there a lot more because when she is on screen, she is so great as Janet and interacting with Michael Douglas. I was like, oh, I just mm-hmm. want so much more of this. I um, mean, there's been like talk from Michael Douglas saying, yeah, I'd be up for a young Hank Pym, Pym movie with all the de aging tech. I'm like, yes, if that's what it takes, like 
I'm all there for it. It looked a heck of a lot better this movie too. It looks it looks so good. Like especially Michelle Pfeiffer's de aging. It's like well, if they even used it. On right, her. That's, I that's mean, true. Sheesh. I mean, you could but, do a young Scott Lang movie and he's in his teens, and you have to de age <laughs> Paul Rudd a second. So uh, yeah. it's it's pretty amazing what they're doing now. Um, and yeah, I mean the the Quantum Realm stuff's visually very cool. Mm-hmm. All the size changing stuff. There's a lot of uh, fun action that comes out of it. Saw it on IMAX 3D. Don't know if that's totally necessary for the 3d the imax stuff is great because it's just bigger scale and everything but at the end of the day i enjoyed myself and i'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five that's right they had little tardig uh tardigrade bears those are those little things in the quantum realm yeah they're like really micro things that live in all sorts of places that was really cool to see those well anyway um i'm a huge fan of the first ant-man movie yeah even if i do think it is a weaker um entry in the marvel um, universe, like in terms of like pure entertainment value. Okay. But it's small story, you know, coming on the heels of all those big earth shattering events. Like what was it? I think it came after winter soldier, right? The first one came yeah. after age of Ultron. Ultron. Okay. Yeah. So it's got a special place in my heart. So right after infinity war this time, another Ant-Man story, another, like literally another small story. Yeah. And this time Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, it's more fun and funny than the original. This one was. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Okay. Um, it, re- it reminded me though of an episode of like, a, like an episodic TV show more than anything, mm-hmm. like a season two where Scott's under house arrest. And no matter what he does throughout all these episodes, he's got to make it back home or else Randall Park's Jimmy Woo is going to show up and bust him. And oh my gosh, I am, he, he crushed it. Randall Park did as the FBI agent who's looking over Scott. I think he was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie outside of like, outside of like the main cast. Yeah. He, he's just so funny and I really hope he keeps popping up all sorts of places. Uh, there's a joke about him looking like a youth pastor and that is just so <laughs> spot on. Um, yeah, but this Ant-Man entry is warm, welcoming and not too dramatic. And I was, I was really like, you know, I'm drawn to that. Mm-hmm. That's the kind that's the kind of thing I'm after. Um, you've already talked about it, Angeline or Evangeline Lilly. So I'll just follow up by saying she's fantastic. Her relationship with Hank Pym and then her mother, whose first name I forgot. Janet. Janet, thank you, uh, is fantastic. Um, Really presented as, like, you know, on the same plane as Scott's relationship with Cassie. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated that. This is more of a family, more traditional family story than you could, like, say that the Guardians is, Mm -hmm. even though that is. But this is more, like nuclear nuclear mm-hmm. in the sense um so delighted by that um you said in your review online you wanted the wasp movie or you said yes. it right here too i think said it both ways <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I would want one too um absolutely uh it choked me up in the beginning michelle pfeiffer's performance with her daughter or with the young um what's her name Hope. hope there we go yeah. yes with like young hope it's like oh that's so sweet and then when she sacrificed herself and the replay of for the other mm-hmm. ant man i'm like oh my heart's broken and then we got this got cassie intro and you know that all moved through really great like that um but like i said it felt like an episode tv series so the flow is like kind of staccato it's stop did it stop and that kind of takes you out of the adventure. You don't get really carried away by it. Mm-hmm. And that paired with the villains that aren't really villainous, yeah. I would say. Um, I mean, kind of brought it down because there was no heightened drama mm-hmm. in this. I mean, there's a ticking clock that's supposed to, I think, manufacture some of that, mm-hmm. but it never even really feels that pressing. Right. The cl- well, the clock doesn't start to like, you know, last, <laughs> like 15 minutes, yeah. I think is actually what the clock gets set to. So you're just kind of like, okay, he's got it. Or, yeah. you know, it was, it's doing whatever he's doing. And so I never got, I never really engaged with the movie like that, but it was just r- really pleasant to have in front of me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a weird thing to say or not, but, um, and then you can go through everyone around it. I already talked about, um, Carlos, Michael, Michael Pena. Pena. <laughs> oh my gosh. I should write him down. Okay. Um, who was absolutely hilarious. My little cousin who I went with 
me to see the movie kept going was up like the <laughs> yeah. entire way home i'm like that was a good line like i don't remember the commercial or know absolutely what he's talking mm-hmm. about so this kid doesn't either but he just <laughs> yeah just, just part of like the pop culture zeitgeist I exactly guess. the earnestness with which he was delivering those lines as well as um talking about truth serum <laughs> yes <laughs> was, was phenomenally funny um judy greer and barbie uh bobby kind of ollie yeah it's that's very italian yeah um the, the, the weird step father family relationship mm-hmm. thing that's back um, only this time they're like hugging and yeah so it was funny uh but yeah just wishing there was more michelle pfeiffer and more bill foster mm-hmm. and that's all i could really say at the end of this okay um but it's not going to leave me thinking about anything or wondering about conclusions it just felt like paul rudd did another rom-com <laughs> and but this one just happens to be in marvel's universe so all in all, though, I would give it four out of five ticket stubs. Okay. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I said in my review that I think it, this is one of, if not the easiest to watch Marvel movies, just because it's like it does feel kind of low stakes, but there's high stakes. Um, and it, does, it does just kind of keep going. It's like that TV episode is like, this is like, it'd be like, I think the equivalent of like a filler episode. <laughs> if like you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like, a a TV series is like right. oh this is like the movie you get like two or three episodes before the season finale because there's like well we have to get twenty three episodes mm-hmm. so let's just like do right. this like weird side adventure real yes. quick and but that's not that's not a bad thing this no, is it's, it's just, a fly episode of Breaking Bad <laughs> yeah I for better so. or for worse if only Ryan Johnson directed this <laughs> one um, no I I mean I thought uh, Peyton Reed did right, great. Yeah. Um, it was I said before we started taping I always thought it was weird that Peyton Reed got to do these mm-hmm. Ant-Man movies after Edgar exited on the first time around. But in this one, the the comedy sort of tone really stuck out yeah. in a way that um, was hazy in the first. Yep, I agree. So let's move into some spoilers here. Um, I think most of the spoiler stuff has to pertain to the end of the movie, um, okay. unless we want to get into, I think, we both were underwhelmed with Ghost... Um, and I, and I understand, I guess what they're going for, but she does, she's not even really that of much of a villain. As you said, she's like it's kind of a villain problem. She's more of a disgruntled, uh, driven person more than like a, a villain if anything. Cause she's, she's dying because mm-hmm. of exposure to the quantum realm, um, slowly but surely. And so she's got. Uh, two or three weeks left at best to live and so she thinks oh well if i can get janet van dyne back from the quantum realm she will in some way i can i can harvest particles from her or something along those lines and heal myself even if that kills her so it's like that aspect is like okay if you're willing to kill somebody else to make yourself better that's villainous like there was a one point where she was like threatening to go kidnap cassie Mm -hmm. Or do something to her, and Bill's just like no, and she's like okay. So it's like they, I, they, I think right. they, they put their foot in the sand, or like she's not going to cross too far of a line because if she does, then she's like a true on villain, and in this way, she's more of like a an anti-hero, yeah. if anything, and sets her up where she could, where she's basically redeemed by the end of the movie. Maybe she could be hero down the line, um, which would be. I'd be totally fine with. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see more of Ghost because I think the way they showed her powers was really cool. Oh, for um, sure. But I just still wish that like, I got more out of her to understand her more. Yeah, it's almost like I wish they would have, again, dedicated more time to her mm-hmm. so we could kind of follow along and get to the point where, at, like, at the end, she's kind of redeemed. I'm like, that. that I'm willing to let that like I'm willing to accept the redemption I guess or the mm-hmm. free, uh, give forgiveness. Yeah. Um although I wish we could have let um Hannah Jung came and kind of get us there without mm-hmm. having Paul Rudd or Evangeline Lilly sell that for us too or Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer. Like the goodwill Michelle Pfeiffer kind of get like you know her you know yeah, she's like, don't worry. Be putting your hands on it. Like, I'll, I'll do I'll do what you want. Exactly. No and, questions asked. And you're like, oh, that's great. But also, um, she could have, probably, her story in and of itself could have done that for us too. Yeah. If it would have just had more time to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, because her and Bill Foster were working together, that helped a mm-hmm. little bit too. He kind of grounded um, 
and Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, when that man yeah, looks great. at like you know when he looks at the camera, or looks at someone like that, you're like Lawrence. Hey, you know <laughs> that's why I don't know. I think they they I don't know if maybe this stuff is on the cutting room floor or whatever, but both Bill Foster and Ava Starr, as we learned her name is, um, aka Ghost. They're both tied to kind of a, dis- a dislike, a hatred even, you could say, towards Hank Pym um, because Bill and Hank used to be partners on Project Goliath. They clashed. Bill was fired or quit, depending on who you believe. Mm-hmm. And then Ava's father, Elijah Starr, uh, died because he went, he was working on quantum realm experiments. Hank fired him from S.H.I.E.L.D. He still wanted to do those experiments and experiments it wrong. He died. Ava's mom died and the Ava got powers. So um, I think they could have linked that a little bit better. It'd be like, we're both driven by this sort of anger. Um, But I I don't know if maybe they cut back on that stuff again to maybe do some sort of redemptive arc. Maybe whether it's Avengers four and they both come back or something, or it's in uh, Ant-Man three or whatever it would be called. They do it that way. We're like, okay, well now Bill Foster is a hero again, or an anti-hero more so. And yeah. ghost is also helping save the world in some ways. Um, maybe that's why they did it because yeah, I, I do think, I don't think yellow jacket was the best villain in Ant-Man, but at least he is just a, he's just a bad guy. Like, his motivations are pretty clear. Like he's just like, he's fueled by uh, vengeance, I guess. Cause he's like, no, I should have been your understudy. I should have been the one to be Ant-Man or whatever. Like right. it, they're not the, the strongest, Ego. but yeah, but he is still just like angry with power and greed. And like, you're like, okay, you are a clear bad guy. Ava. I'm like, Oh, I feel kind of bad for you. You're dying. Right. <laughs> you're, yeah. We're, we're, it gets us to the point where we're like, it's, it's an unsatisfying ending. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not so much that the uh, the story's lead up is bad, I guess, but it's where it leaves us with her. We're like, ah, oh, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Like, why couldn't she have popped up in a post credit scene, right. um, and done something heroic? Like, because there was room for someone to mm-hmm. like, you know, do something like that. So, I mean, well, the first post credit scene. Can I can I go and touch yeah. on it? Like, she she could have been the one to yank Paul out and then been like. Dude, something's going down. Right, which like, uh, I mean, if we're jumping to there, jump to the post credit scene. Uh, they tie it into Infinity War. Yes. Finally, um, the whole movie. There's no mention of Infinity War, um, and then the post credit scene takes place. I would assume weeks, months um, after the movie ends, because they've found the ability to shrink the quantum tunnel, yep. fit inside a van, and they are working with Ghost to harvest more quantum realm particles or something they call them quantum, quantum healing par- yeah. particles yep. um to help keep ghost condition um Stable. stabilized mm-hmm. i guess um so they do that paul rudd scott lane decides uh, well i don't know if he decides he's like okay i'm the one going in and yeah. he goes in and he gets the particles and he's supposed to be pulled out and then they cut back and the snap has happened and mm-hmm. janet hope and hank are all dusted. <laughs> right. And I did not see that coming. I mean, like I knew someone was going to get zapped, mm-hmm. but zapped blown away. Gone with who's going to be gone with the wind, whatever the case is. Uh, but they did all three. They did all three. That and, was the surprising part. Right. Um, I said last week, I thought it'd be a Hank and Janet or not, mm-hmm. or Hank and hope. And I, and I felt pretty good about that. Or it'd be Janet and hope. And then Hank would be left. One of the parents would be left. And but I never thought they would do all three, um, especially when they reveal once Janet gets rescued from the quantum realm that she is like more powerful and she has quantum powers of some some right. kind. I was like, oh snap! Like she's gonna be super important in Avengers Four because mm-hmm. she's gonna tell them all about the quantum realm and uh, Ant Man's gonna be there and he's already been there, so they both experienced the quantum realm. Yeah, and. Th- and through their combination of experiences, they're going to figure out how to do time travel or do alternate realities or something. And that's how, that's how Avengers four is going down. Mm-hmm. And then they just like, Nope, got rid of her. I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. And then they leave Paul in the, or they leave uh, Hank in the, not Hank, Scott, Scott in the quantum realm. And he's just like, guys, guys. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And then we get the post credit scene, which is the, Ant-Man stand-in or the ant stand-in for mm-hmm. Ant-Man um, 
still in Scott Lang's house playing yep. drums. The TVs are off. Uh, looks like it's a pretty broadcast a system going. Pretty desolate area right. that is now uh, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of teasing, like okay, like what the world is like after the snap happens a little bit here. Um, but I think it also teases in some ways. I mean, there's been theories and or posturing that maybe Avengers four will feature a time jump of some sorts that it'll be a year, two years after the events of infinity war, 10, 10 years. I think maybe a bit much, um, but I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. Um, but either way, I think that it opens up that idea more because like if the snap happens and then Scott's just in the quantum realm for like, a couple of minutes it's like what does that really do but if he's in there for like two three years kind of floating around exploring figuring what time vortexes are um then i think it's like oh well now he's going to be rescued by captain marvel or tony stark or whoever and now he's like guys what 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 happened where's half the universe and tell him and then he's gonna say okay well, I figured out a way to, t- to travel through time, and now we there can go we... and stop Thanos and all this That's stuff. That's right, because she warns him, stay away from the time vortexes. Yeah. So ah. uh, we'll talk about all this Avengers 4 stuff in our big question this week more. Yes. But um, as far as the future of this franchise goes, um, in the post-credits scene I mentioned before we started recording that I thought they are going to go in a slightly different direction, um, because for most of the movie, anytime. Abby Ryder Fortson was on screen as Cassie. She wasn't just like delivering like cute dialogue or fun interactions with Paul, with Paul Rudd. She's saying, oh, I want to be a hero. I mm-hmm. want to be your partner. I want to do this. I want to have abilities. And in the comics, Cassie Lane Lang becomes a hero known as stature who has again, like her father size changing abilities and she become very tall. Um, and so I thought that's where they were going where, you know, the postcard scene was going to show Scott's empty house and then uh, crying Cassie's going to come in because maybe both her parents are gone and she's trying to see if Scott's still around and she's going to bust in and then find an alternate version of the costume, which Hank Pym's costume that he used to go into the quantum tunnel kind of has the same colors as her costume. But anyways, I was like, oh, that they're going to do this and they're going to set up stature to be a hero that's going to be involved in Avengers 4 in some capacity. That'd be really cool. Um, and there's even... Uh, casting for Avengers 4 that is a different actress for Cassie Lang that's like six years older what? than Abby Ryder Fortson. So um, I, th- I feel like they're going to go to stature. And I thought that would have been a cool way to set it up to be like, okay, well, even if it's just a small thing to Avengers 4, mm-hmm. if there's an Ant-Man 3, then it can be Ant-Man, Wasp, and Stature, yeah. and maybe even Giant-Man um, or Goliath or whatever you want to call him. Um but either way, I think we will get Cassie's statue. It'll be uh, pretty cool when it does happen. They, they definitely lay the groundwork for it, no doubt. Um, and then last thing, I mean, we I think we've talked about him before, but Goliath is another uh, size-changing hero in the, in the Marvel comics. Um, there's a few teases of what I took of Luis saying, hey, I want to be a suit. I want to get a suit. Can I get a suit? Can I do this? I wish I was a hero. I feel like they're kind of laying the groundwork for them to eventually be like, hey, we need, okay, we have Mm Ant-Man, Wasp, but we need somebody to just be a permanent Goliath and Lawrence Fishburne isn't doing that anymore. So, Michael Pena, you want to step into this? And he's going to say, yeah, and we're going to get really funny dialogue with him. Um, So, I wouldn't be surprised if Luis becoming Goliath is a thing that happens in like the third movie or something. Yeah, I would not be shocked either. Yeah, because it's a long, I mean, it's it's an awkward moment type of a drawn out thing. He's like, can I get a suit? Yeah. Doesn't have to do anything. I just want a suit. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to wear it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't think there's that much to dissect with Ant Man the Wasp. Like we said, it's kind of like a, a palate cleanser. It's it's a yeah. it's a good movie, um, but it doesn't it doesn't really answer anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you're looking for answers on Infinity War's ending or Avengers Four, there's I think hints of where the stuff's going. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's just a fun movie you can go watch. I think anybody can watch without really any knowledge of MCU, and you're going to be totally understandable yep. uh, with everything that's going on up until the mid credit scene where they can be like, wait, what happened? What does that mean? Right. And then be like, hey, go see Infinity War. You'll understand. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, any final thoughts, final summary on Ant-Man and the Wasp? No, you. I'm all set. Okay. So then on that note, that's all we have for our view of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we'll be right back in a bit with the news.
and are back with the news. And as always, we're going to start with Ticket or Skip It. Except we're not this week because there was no trailer to talk about. So we are skipping Ticket or Skip It. Uh, we'll mm. skip all the movies this week, apparently. And we'll jump straight to the news instead, starting with some major casting that broke this week, courtesy of Variety. And Justin Kroll over there, who had a major week, and we're going to be mentioning his stories a lot throughout this episode. Starting with Carrie Russell joining Star Wars Episode Nine in a wow. major in a major, excuse me, action heavy role, as it was described in the article. Russell is most recently known for starring in the Americans mm-hmm. uh, TV show, but she is a frequent J.J. Abrams collaborator with Alias and a role in Mission Impossible Three. Um, so Josh will be able to give you his thoughts on her role here in about a week and a half uh, once that review goes live, unless you've already seen it and you want to mention part of it already. Wait, mention what? Uh, never mind. We'll move on. And Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait Carrie wait. Russell, Mission Impossible 3. Oh, right. Have you um, seen it yet? No, I have not seen that yet, but I'll have to dive in there. But also Felicity, um, her and J.J. Abrams yes. and Matt Reeves. Uh we're on that together. So yeah. the trifecta has led to. Maybe that's what I was thinking instead of Alias. Yeah, I don't I think, think that, she was I think, alias. I think that's a different show. I think a few people actually said it. I know one person tweeted Alias. Maybe, this that's, week. maybe that's what happened. <laughs> I got mixed up in the brain. Either but way. Yes, okay. Carrie Russell is joining Star Wars 9, which is great news because she's great. Mm-hmm. But is she Ray's mom or what? I'm exhausted <laughs> by that stuff. No, she's probably not, and she won't be. And Ray's lineage was decided by JJ and Ryan long ago or well in the scripting and shooting processes and it, like, jj is not going to renege or build around any of that it's an action heavy role so even if it's just a flashback she's not ray's mom you yeah. don't cast carrie for that no and especially if she since she's the first casting addition to be named mm-hmm. i don't think it's a small role such as well, let's, you know, just to solidify, let's show Ray's mom selling her to Uncar Plot for beer or whatever the <laughs> right. price was. Um, no, that just, that just doesn't make any sense. No, not, not, not one little bit. Um, if anything, she's either the new general of the resistance mm-hmm. or a new imperial admiral. Either one of those would be insanely awesome Now, her casting does fit the description, the age range. Um, of the Mara Jade character breakdown that was revealed previously. We talked about it. Um, neither of us really think that the actual character Mara Jade is going to be in there because casting breakdowns are notoriously um, different than what they actually are on the big screen. Yeah. They use fake names. Um, the character descriptions are typically spot on, but the names are never the same. But I do think this will be some version of Mara Jade the way that like Kylo Ren is a version of Ben Solo Ben Solo or, in uh, Jason Solo Jason Solo yeah Ben Solo is who he is in the movies um that's weird how my mind is already melding <laughs> it's already I've, you know he, Jason is like evaporating like you yeah. know uh in Back to the Future because so he, he's not canon anymore so exactly. it doesn't matter um but I I I I think that this means that she's going to be a Jedi type character where Maybe she is a new mentor for Ray. Uh, there's no confirmation yet that Mark Hamill's returning. I would assume he is, but so far there's been no word about it. Yeah. Um, and if we we knew that the first movie, episode seven was Harrison Ford, Han Solo's movie. Second movie was Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker's story. And the uh, episode nine was by all indications supposed to be Carrie Fisher's Leia's movie. And since she is no longer with us, if they still want that female presence to help mentor guide Ray, I wouldn't be surprised if they've brought in a Mara Jade type character played by Carrie Russell to help kind of teach Ray. And I think that'd be super cool to see. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if they would go that route. If they do go the former emperor's hand route or, or mm-hmm. anything like that, or just some kind of Jedi like role. Right. That would be stellar, um, but my guts. I mean, yeah. I mean, um, the more you keep saying a version of Mara Jade, that sounds right. And if there's going to be someone to play Mara Jade on the screen, mm-hmm. Carrie Russell is it. Like if that name is right, then they go the she's a um, the leader or an enterpriser for like um, this entire basically 
army of smugglers Mm -hmm. and also happens to be like a Jedi or was trained to something like that, that would be, first of all, a mind-blowing thing for anyone who read the Legends book series Uh to have happen. Second of all, she would immediately cement herself as one of the coolest characters in Star (laughs) Wars. Um, And third of all, uh, it would be like the ultimate form of fan service yeah too not that i would ever want them to do fan <laughs> service but if that's the case i'm a thousand percent here for it and she's a thousand percent the right choice so if i understand mara j correct because i would i never read the legends or you whatever they're called mm-hmm. um star wars stuff but she was a former assassin um with the emperor the on Emperor's the side of the emperor assassin. and then yep. she turned to the good side Married Luke Skywalker. Yes. Um, worked with the Rebellion and all that stuff, correct? Um, in between marrying, in between turning yeah. and marrying Luke Skywalker, there is become second in command of a massive smuggling ring. Okay. What if they're using the Mara Jade name to in the casting to signify her arc in some ways, and she's not actually that in the movie but she's instead a former hand from snoke and Hmm. uh, now that snoke's gone she's looking for new work and she's kind of out for whatever can be done because i would assume that kylo's not the first apprentice or if you even call kylo that that snoke has had yeah um i think there's even hints in one of the novelizations that there's another younger apprentice that snoke was working on um don't quote me on that because I haven't actually read the book, but I feel like I've heard that before. Um, so I, I think that'd be a very interesting way to go if there's a different tie to Snoke. Snoke's now gone, and so now Carrie Russell's character is out there floating around the galaxy. She ends up meeting up with the Resistance, and her and Ray find some sort of connection, and then they are on like a journey together. Yeah. I don't know about immediately tying her to Ray right away um, because I feel like that diminishes Carrie's role. It's sort of like when Laura Dern was added, if you immediately said mentored Ray or something like that, it's mm-hmm. like, eh, they're probably going to have a bigger point somewhere. Well, so, but I mean like the mentor thing, I just don't buy mentor it. Mentor in like the capacity of like the same level of role of like that Mark Hamill had in. Yeah. No? Ray's, Ray's got everything she needs. True. Carrie is a wild card, I think. Okay. Or the Mary Jade-like character is a wild card. That That's my gut feeling, um, based, at least based around what we've seen so far in these movies. But she's 100% not Ray's mom. She's a billion percent <laughs> not Ray's All mom. Right. She will never, ever be associated with that ever again. Um, you know, it's fun to talk about. But uh, Carrie's got the Russian accent, and Ray has the British accent. How would that even work? Now, are, there, she, are there Russian accents in Star Wars? I, have we ever had one? No, we have not had one. Well, there are only two the, accents, British and English. Well, in, even in Star Wars, they're not technically British or English. They're some other accent. Human basic. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how a Russian... Type she's accent American, would come into. Just, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You, uh, you, Americans, go watch it. Yeah. It's good. Um, so anyways, let's move on to Black Widow, mm. where it was reported this week that Kimberly Pierce is also in the running to direct the Black Widow solo movie for Marvel Studios. She's previously directed Boys Don't Cry, Stop Loss, and 2013's remake of Carrie. But despite her name being brought up into contention this week, Variety's Justin Kroll said on Twitter, hey, pump the brakes um this is kate shortland's job to lose so i finally had a chance to check out a kate shortland movie you did berlin syndrome it is on netflix if you want to figure out who the potential black widow director's style was what it's like go to netflix watch berlin syndrome that stars Teresa palmer who i love um she's great in the movie and so is the male lead uh kate shortland i think does a good job directing the film there's like an eerie sense to the movie where it's like a kidnapping story and you spend a lot of time with the kidnapper, but also with her and them together and them separate. And it's like very interesting, but I think the story could have been worked on a little bit better. The execution of that story maybe would have been tightened up a little bit. It's based, the movie's based on a novel. So I don't know if that is how the novel plays out and it's just adapting that source material. It just didn't work for the big screen. 
or maybe it just didn't work in general. I don't know. Didn't read the book. Um, but if it's Kate Shortland, I think that's great. Okay. She looks like she has the ability to translate a spy espionage movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe style. I was watching the movie, imagining, all right, well, what if this was Black Widow and this was mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson instead of Teresa Palmer and this Australian photographer? Um, and I felt like a lot of that stuff would have worked. Kimberly Pierce, I've seen the remake of Carrie. I thought it was good. Um, didn't necessarily stick with me that often. Um, I don't really remember that much of it, except for like kind of the imagery that she presents through it. But um, you know, if she's the choice, fine. But Kate Shortland looks to be the choice at this point, so uh, I'm on board if that is indeed the case. Okay. Well, post watching, post taping last week. Yes. I did some digging into Berlin Syndrome, and I just kind of stopped short at the images on IMDb, and they were immaculate, and I asked you about them, and you confirmed that the movie is stylish as heck. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I can confirm. Okay, and if it's her job to lose, I'm 1,000% here for it. Um, I added it to my Netflix list. Uh, I probably won't get to it because (laughs) I'm beginning a new venture, but um, I haven't seen the new Carrie, but it had... Coley Grace Mortez in, in the lead role, right? Mm-hmm. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, I believe. What? I think. I That's think it wild. Was well, anyway, um, the the whole her in front of the fire thing mm-hmm. going off, it's a visceral image that sticks with you. Yeah. So, sure. Why not? Um, but other than that, I'm just kind of throwing out things here. <laughs> you're just you're kind of waiting to see who you're it actually the, is. Yeah, you're the authority, and I, right. I'll totally lean on you for that. Okay, well, let's move on to something that you, I think you have more knowledge about than I do, and that's with Hobbs and Shaw, because Variety reported it this week, again, courtesy of Justin Kroll, that Mission Impossible Fallout and the crown star Vanessa Kirby is joining the movie, and she'll play an MI5 agent that is also Shaw's sister and possibly a love interest for The Rock's Hobbs. Uh You've seen The Crown. I have not. We'll both experience her in Mission Impossible Fallout in a couple of weeks here. Her casting, what does it do for you in terms of excitement on Hobbs and Shaw? Okay. We're talking. It's going to be hard to translate Princess Margaret (laughs) from the 1940s and 50s to Hobbs and Shaw. But Vanessa Kirby is a competent, cool actress who can kick... who. Looks like she's kicking very serious butt in the newest Mission Impossible movie. Mm -hmm. So, if we're taking the two frames, the three frames, the four frames that we have of her (laughs) in the Mission Impossible movie, as well as her acting chops from the crowd, which are great, we are going to get something really fun in Hobbs and Shaw, especially paired with The Rock and Statham. All right. So, I think we're gonna be set there all right well i'll lean on you for that one don't really have much to say on her because i haven't seen any of her work yet so uh in a couple weeks i'll be able to say hey yes she is gonna be a great addition to this or i'm gonna say oh she wasn't a good part of mission (laughs) possible fallout but i'm hoping they can turn around and have some job um she is she is she, she, she really should be like the new queen of shade in the gif world because there are so many side glances that she div, uh, doles out in that series. All right. But she wasn't the only addition to Hobbs and Shaw this week. As Variety also reported that Idris Elba is joining the movie as the villain. So we're getting Idris Elba what? versus The Rock and Jason Statham. Uh, this cast is shaping up pretty nicely. This movie is shaping up pretty nicely. Directed by David Leach. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be the best Fast and Furious movie? Yes. And it's all because of Idris. It's all because of Idris. Yeah, uh, I'm his biggest. I'm one of his biggest fans. I'm not okay. I'm not one of his biggest fans. They're probably <laughs> bigger fans. But I am a big fan of his, and he's he's just gonna bring some style to these things. I mean, not that this movie wasn't going to have style, mm-hmm. but I picture Statham in the Rock. It's sort of the brute forces of wit and explosions. Mm-hmm. And then now we have Idris Elba, who's like the classiest. He's probably the classiest guy in all movies outside of Jeff Goldblum. He may be classier than Jeff Goldblum. Idris, yeah. Goldblum's Goldblum, a little more zany. Jeff Goldblum is the white Idris Elba, <laughs> but Idris Elba, what man, I don't know. He's just chic, and I don't know. I mean, he's, he's going to be the next James Bond when he gets to the end of this movie because he's going to look that awesome doing 
everything David Leach is going to map out for him. It's funny you say that because I've been thinking, I'm like, well, okay, well, he's kind of talked about, well, he doesn't know if he would do Bond. One of the Bond producers, I think, said that he was too street, <laughs> in quotes, oh to play gosh. Bond. Yes, yeah, um, Which is a ridiculous thing to say, but I really hope that, like, Hobbs and Shaw is like, all right, well, we have an MI5 agent, Vanessa Kirby, uh, Hobbs and Shaw are together on doing their thing. Let's have just like a, a Fast and Furious version of James Bond that's played by Idris Elba, who's the villain. And so it's like him in like these like super nice suits the whole time, Ooh. pulling out pistols, shooting left and right, and just being like super cool the entire movie. Uh, I feel like Idris can pull that off without breaking a sweat yeah and would really i think elevate this and kind of the cool thing too is idris elba is a speed demon Mm -hmm. um he was it just this month he was trying to break the british land speed record they called like the flying mile and i I don't know if he actually did it oh yeah (laughs) yeah he did it he did it he broke the british land speed record um so him being in a fast and furious movie or a spinoff or whatever mm-hmm. the case is, that's pretty good and cool. So um, I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, I mean, this movie could potentially have Helen Mirren, Luke Evans as part of it too because they're both part of the Shaw family. That's right. Um, so, again, I'm, I think Colton disagrees with us here, but Hobbs and Shaw shaping up very nicely. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if that maybe turns some other people around I'm, on it I too. am 100% looking forward forward to it agreed it's not going to be in my top 10 most anticipated of the year next year when it comes out i believe it'll be an honorable mention but it'll it'll be up there just because of like it's going to be dumb and fun and it's got a great cast and a talented director so yeah he did it um 180.361 miles per hour over a measured mile what (sighs) wow 88 year old driving record what is he like what is he in uh, he was in, it looks like he was in a, geez, what was it? It looks like, I don't know, um, a Bluebird, a specially constructed Bluebird car. Oh my gosh, that's wild. Yeah, the dude is awesome. Um, but something that's not awesome that we talked about last week, Variety also reported that Miles Teller has been tapped to play Goose's son in Top Gun Maverick. He bet he beat out Nicholas Holt and our boy Glenn Powell, or more so my boy than I converted you onto Team Powell, I yeah, think, I was Holt in the episode. Yeah. I think I understand why they're doing this. I yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be good. I'm not taking anything away from Teller. He'll be a he'll be a good addition to this cast. He's a talented actor. Uh, he was great in Whiplash. Uh, him in War Dogs. He was really fun in that role with Jonah Hill and uh, his boxing movie Bleed for this. Miles Teller is a talented guy. I just felt like Glenn Powell was the best choice to play the version of Goose's son that I thought they would go. This. Yeah. The cast of Teller tells me they're going in a slightly different direction than I think I wanted, and we'll see. Um, he's going to be good, but it doesn't make me like super excited for Top Gun 2, which I probably would have been if they cast Glenn Powell. Right. Um, and I can't, I don't think we kind of dug through two characters last week. We talked about Holt, and we talked about uh, Powell, and sort yeah. of like what our, the take on the character would be, or what we assumed, or what could be the take on the characters. Um and when you think about it, Powell is still young, but he's very, and I hate this term, but millennial. <laughs> and Holt is sort of dapper, and I think he's British. And I just don't think, he, he looks like he wears bow ties, just casually, okay, um, for better or for worse. But <laughs> okay. Miles Teller is blue collar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the air he gives off. Um, Thank you for your service. It was a movie in 2017 he did. He followed it up uh, with Only the Brave later yeah. in the year. So I think audiences have this version of him as being more, for better or for worse, American. <laughs> I, I, th- I, I think that's why he got the role. Other than, like, outside of him being... And a great a great actor. Yeah, I mean he's the not bit, taking away yeah. from like his. I'm trying to diminish his skill. Mm-hmm. It's just the per, I think studio perceptions and things like that led to him being like, I'm saying that yeah, this guy looks like someone who would be in the Air Force as a kid. Right. I mean, and he is. The, I think at this point in their career is the biggest star of the three. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been in his Oscar movies like Whiplash. He was gonna be in La La Land for a hot second until he dropped out, and then Ryan Gosling took over. What? Yeah. Um, which would have been crazy as because it's supposed to be miles teller and somebody else instead of emma stone and ryan gosling and uh, i think i think that we've worked out for the better yes but in some alternate universe um 
it'd be interesting to see what the all in would have looked like with Miles Teller in oh, that leading role. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get it. He he's done the Oscar stuff. He's done the big budget stuff. Whether it's Fantastic Four, which didn't do well, or the Divergent movies he's in, um, he is. I think the most well-known of the three. So if they're looking at, all right, we've got Tom Cruise. We've got the Top Gun name. We've got Val Kilmer returning. If that increases our uh, audience in any ways, (laughs) Um, but we need somebody that the younger generation will know. If you're going to choose one of the three, Miles Teller is the best known of the three. So I get it. Um, I just would have rather seen Glenn Powell come in get his big break. And then a year or two from now, he's cast as Nova in the MCU. Maybe that happens anyways, but We'll see. Um, so moving on then to Spawn, that hashtag show reported this week that Jeremy Renner is being considered for the human lead in the movie. That would be Twitch Williams, who's a cop in the Todd McFarlane Spawn movie. There's no word yet if he's actually signed on to the part yet or if he's passed or whatever, but he is in consideration for the role. And if he would join, he would be the first co-star alongside Jamie Foxx. Uh, Jeremy Renner Currently playing Hawkeye slash Ronin in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Doesn't really, or he just did tag, Wind River recently. He's kind mm-hmm. of branching out a little bit more. Do you want to see him make the next move in his career as Twitch Williams in Blumhouse's Spawn? If they put Twitch Williams in this movie, which they are, sounds mm-hmm. like they're cast, trying to cast Jeremy Renner, I am immediately. 10 times more interested in Spawn than really? I was after Jamie or Jamie Foxx signed on. Why? Because this this is shaping up to be like a really Norish type of a film. Like a beat cop type um, trench coat, old timey revolvers and <laughs> jazz music playing, neon. Uh, because there are Spawn graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've had a look at them at all or not. not really. But they're very moody and gray. And this sounds like Blumhouse is branching out big time. And uh, Jeremy Renner is Jeremy Renner. Mm-hmm. I mean, him as some kind of, you know, 40s, 50s PI detective type of a deal or something like that, you know, sitting in his office and all of a sudden people are getting yanked into oblivion by mm-hmm. Spawn. That would be really sweet. Is Spawn set in the past? Or is I it... don't know where they could set it. Oh, okay. But, um, I just think it would I be didn't, really I didn't cool. know if like the comics were traditionally in the past or if they're present day and they continue forward. Or... I think they're all present day. Okay. That's what I thought. But you mentioned the Ford's phase. like, well, maybe maybe that's the case. I don't know. Well, I mean, the, the, it would lend itself to it here real quick. Yeah. So, but, um, Jimmy Renner is great. Yes. And I think this could be fun. Do you have any reservations? Um, no, I mean, like you kind of said, Jeremy Renner is a great actor. And yeah, I mean, those images look great. So like I could, he doesn't really look like Twitch Williams. No, he doesn't. But that's, that's totally fine. I don't really care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, I like the idea of him doing like a down on his luck cop who comes in some way involved with a demonic anti-hero that is Spawn. Um, there's some interesting things that he could play with there. It would definitely be a different chain a different career move for Jeremy Renner to go um not a bad one but it would definitely give me more interest in the movie because it looks like Twitch is going to be the lead character in Spawn and that kind of explains why all of McFarlane's quotes were like oh well Spawn will be the jaw will be the Bruce of Jaws if we're if if Spawn is Jaws sort of thing Mm -hmm. so I get it um but I'm still just not that interested in Spawn at this point I don't know what Tom McFarlane is going to do as a director. And for me, just as like the years have gone on, I've become more interested in the directors who are doing it to give me confidence in the movie, more so than the actors. Um, and at this point, McFarlane hasn't proved to me either which way how his thing will go. And he's, I mean, he's doing the script. He's directing the movie. Mm-hmm. He's producing. Um, he's, he's all hands in. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if that pays off or not. But Jeremy Renner would definitely give me more interest in a Spawn movie. For sure. And it doesn't help that his quotes are sometimes incoherent. Yeah. It's like, I get, I get the gist of this after reading it, mm-hmm. but it could mean like 20 or 50 different things. Right. So um, moving on then to Legendary and Sunrise. They made an announcement this week at uh, an anime Comic-Con convention um, that a live-action Gundam movie is going to be made. Uh, they're currently developing the film, which is based on the anime which is set in a future where people live across the galaxy thanks to the overpopulation of Earth. Uh, but then a war wages out and people use these giant robotic suits 
that are the Gundam uh, to kind of fight this war across the galaxy against Earth, all this stuff. Um, my exposure to Gundam is he appeared or a version of Gundam appeared in Ray Player One. Okay. <laughs> and that is it. Yeah. So I'm not like, yeah, Gundam or who I'm more of like, a, okay, cool. Gundam, I guess. Um, my thought really just pertains to, I think I find it interesting that legendary, the company behind Pacific Rim mm-hmm. is turning to another big budget robo fighting movie. Cause I think it to me says, okay, Pacific Rim, that franchise is either going away yeah. and we're going to focus on Gundam or if they really want to get crazy, uh, it's gonna, they're going to do the, the, both different franchises and then cross them over <laughs> and have a giant robot versus robot universe instead of uh, Pacific Rim versus Kong and Godzilla thing they were talking about for a while. Yeah. Um, but are you interested in Gundam? Do you have any background with it? I have background with Gundam. Okay. But weirdly, I don't remember it. Okay. But like when I see it and I watch when I when I see it and look at it, it inspires a feeling that I know that I've played and wa- with Gundam action figures before, and watched on Saturday mornings. That along with various other animes, Kirby, Sonic the Hedgehog, and you know all those things. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling for it but I have just no idea what it's about or what happens other than the robots are really cool. They'll have swords and shields and whips and all sorts of other things. Um, the plot that you just laid out was the first time I was hearing it. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's legendary having success with Kong and Godzilla and then now turning towards something that could reach both markets mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me because this is big um, overseas in Japan. And right. I think probably mainland China, I would suppose. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more of a business move than right. anything. But I'm not dying for a Gundam movie, mm-hmm. but if they make it really well, it could be something sweet. Well, that's the thing. Like, Wouldn't this franchise then just be the exact fall into the exact same problems that Pacific Rim has fallen into where Pacific Rim big budget explosion giant robots fighting giant monsters sort of a thing and that translated really well overseas but domestically people just didn't they're not attracted to it they didn't flock to theaters to see it I don't think Gundam is more popular I mean I think it's maybe a little bit more well known I at least knew what the term Gundam referred to Mm -hmm. when the news broke but I don't think people are like, oh, Gundam, yeah, I read that anime or I watched this movie or TV show or whatever. And so I think it's another overseas play, which I get from Legendary's perspective, but um, I wonder if that just is going to translate to them just being like, all right, well, we don't care if this movie makes $5 domestically. We're aiming to make 300 plus worldwide thanks to the Asian market kind of really taking this over. Yeah, uh, that that's the only thing that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But maybe they're like, but at the same time, they could say Pacific Rim exhausted itself already mm-hmm. after two runs in the states. Now let's get something new yeah. that'll draw in audiences. And if they I mean they do it right, and it's much more like a um, like a space odyssey, mm-hmm. that that could bring a lot of people in. Yeah, and then throw your robot explosions in, and they're all set. Mm-hmm. So we'll end the news today with a uh, fun little bit of casting that came courtesy of Discussing Film, uh, who reported that Nicolas Cage is going to join the cast, or is joining the cast of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and he will voice Spider-Man Noir. Um, this will be the latest comic role for Cage after previously playing Ghost Rider. Um, he was at one point scheduled to play Superman in Superman Lives. Returns. I, returns? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The death of Superman, the documentary that happened um, about the whole thing. Um, and now he is going to voice Superman in Teen Titans Go to the Movies this summer. Um, do you like this edition of Nicolas Cage to Spider-Verse, the edition of Spider-Man Noir? Um, what are your thoughts about this? Well, first of all, Spider-Man Noir is pretty, pretty cool. It's like, he's like spec ops, but wears a bowler hat and has two pistols. So it's going to be wild to see him on there. And I think, yeah, it'll be, it's a fun little tidbit for Nicolas Cage, who we're probably all going to really, really start to talk about soon once Mandy gets out and 
blows people's minds. Maybe. Or explodes them, depending we'll on see. the level of violence that it looks like <laughs> it has. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at. I, it's just kind of cool that he's going to be in the movie. Yeah. I, yeah, it doesn't really move the needle for me on Spider-Verse because I'm already, like, at a 10 of yeah. excitement for that movie. It's more it's like, a, okay, cool, we're getting more of this. What other Spider-Man are going to be in this movie? Because it is the Spider-Verse has opened up. Uh, we have... Jake Johnson voicing Peter Parker. We have um, uh, the kid from Dope voicing Miles Morales, um, whose name I cannot think of anymore. But we have them. We've got Haley Steinfeld voicing uh, Spider-Gwen in the movie as well. And so now Nicolas Cage, Spider-Man Noir. It kind of just keeps laying the foundation. that, And they said at the end of that last trailer, wait till Comic-Con, you'll find out a lot more. I think when Comic-Con comes around, we're going to get the here's all the other Spider-Man. Here's Spider-Ham. Here's who vo- who's voicing um, Spider-Man 2099. Here's Tom Holland. He's coming in for cameo. Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, uh, maybe even um, Tom Hardy. We're getting all of these people involved to just kind of sprinkle in all the different connective seeds um, to make Spider-Verse, I think, something pretty special. So uh, that is it then for the news. Oh, um, sp- one more Spider-Man related note. Okay. Uh, R.I.P. to Scott, Steve Ditko. Yeah, Steve Ditko. Uh, dead at 90. Uh, he died last week, but it's mm-hmm. just not being reported. Um, yeah, sad stuff. Co-creator I mean, of Spider-Man. Um, Doctor also, Strange. Yep. Um, so many, so many different things. Um, and then long-time, not long-time illustrator, but the first illustrator on the Amazing Spider-Man yeah. series. A um, lot of iconic stuff. I mean, the Spider-Man Homecoming, that moment where Peter is kind of trying to get himself off of the ground and he's got the rubble all on his shoulders. That's straight out of a Ditko Stanley the comic. Last so chapter. Yep. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. RIP Steve Ditko. Um, but yeah, on that note, we will end this episode. We'll be back next week with a review of skyscraper, the latest in Dwayne the rock Johnson's uh, blockbuster career. Josh, are you excited for this one? Why should people go see it? Um, because it look, I mean, I don't know. It looks like I am. I'm here for it because, the Rock is there first and foremost. Yeah. And I haven't seen a movie yet. Even Rampage didn't make me go bleh. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, this is this is great. <laughs> and then th- this one looks a little bit more tolerable. Not tolerable, understandable. It's more much more grounded. The Rock is protecting his family and his age-appropriate wife. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be all good. Um, and it just, it just looks like a, lot, a bunch of C- a, a fun CGI explosion fest with some kick butt action and some cheesy one liners. Yeah, but I mean, maybe it, it's more. Who, it's it's The Rock and Ross and Marshall Thurber, the director, ripping off Die Hard. Um, yeah. Take, making an updated take on it. No problems with that. Die Hard's incredible. So if this is The Rock's Die Hard, then thumbs up. Great. Um, there's been some decent word of mouth in this movie so far, people who have seen it, which. Um, makes me happy because that means we're not going to see hopefully a crappy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I like the pairing of Ro- Ross and Marcel Thurber and The Rock. Um, they last did uh, the Earthquake movie, San Andreas, together. Oh, yeah. And I caught that on TV like a couple weeks ago. And I think that may actually be one of The Rock's best performances um, on the big screen. In San Andreas. Yeah, because he just like... He's not He's not just like the Jumanji central intelligence version of The Rock where he's just comedy and kind of that kind of stuff. He's like, there's actually like heart and character and emotion. And uh, there's one particular scene with him in a helicopter with um, Carla, uh, the, mom, the mom from Spy Kids. <laughs> Can't think of her last name. Um Gungino. Starts with a G. I don't know. Um, Gugino? 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 Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Or Gugino. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a scene of them together. And I, it, that scene in particular, I was like, just watching it. It's like, wow, The Rock is like good at acting when he wants to be. And I think that Ross and Marshall Thurber can bring that out of The Rock and uh, make this something more than just a, oh, this is like a dumb, fun, you know, monster, giant animal movie that Rampage was. Like, I think mm-hmm. this can actually be, like, legitimately good. And uh, hopefully, if that's the case, then it'll be kind of a surprise of the summer um, and continue the the Rock's trajectory to becoming the biggest star in Hollywood if he's not already. So, um, yeah, go see that. You guys will be able to read Josh's review 
um, at the end of next week after the movie comes out, and uh, then you'll, we'll be on the podcast next week talking about it as well. We'll also be back this week with a new big question talking about Avengers 4 and how, or maybe even if, they will rescue the uh, quote-unquote dead heroes. So uh, finally jumping into Avengers 4 topics. It's been long enough. Uh, if you haven't seen it by now, what are you doing? Um, and with Amor and the Wasp out, it, it felt like a good time to kind of talk about this topic. So um, on that note, though, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet more, plus hover to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review uh, with comments, telling us why you enjoy listening to the podcast, but also letting other people know if they're clicking on the podcast, they see it, hey, what's this podcast about? They read your review and they know, hey, this is why I should listen to Friends and Film. So uh, please do that. Help out the show in that way. And then be sure to over to uh, Twitter, Facebook, or share your thoughts on everything covered by Trina's at Friends and Film. You can follow me personally on there at Movie Cooper and Coops on Show Poops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends and Film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our review of Skyscraper. <laughs>